2 Timothy 4, let's stand together, please. We'll begin our reading in verse number 6. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. He's writing to Timothy here in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou where also? For he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Tonight, I want us to look and hone in there on verse number 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, and Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. I want to preach tonight on this thought. Paul, his friends, and you. Paul, his friends, and you. Thank you. Please be seated. Paul is in a Roman prison. He's facing death and he knows that it's imminent. He asked Timothy in verse number 9, make every effort to come to me. He reminds Timothy in verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. And then he asked Timothy something else in verse 13, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Paul is cold. He's lonely. He's in a dark, he's in a very dreary cell. Often it was said that the prisoners where Paul stayed, they were eaten on by the rats. Hardly would get food and and even that in itself was not something that was tasteful. The place where he laid, the place where he lived, it was damp, it was cold, and he's talking about this very matter. He's cold, he's lonely. 
You know, when a person becomes a Christian, grace, the grace of God that changes a man from the inside out, it does not dehumanize them. That doesn't happen until we get to heaven. And one of the things I'm reminded about in the life of the Apostle Paul is not only the grace of Almighty God and how powerful it is, but also looking at Paul, I'm reminded that no one of us ever gets beyond humanness. Paul never hid the fact of how human he was. He just told us with joy in his soul. Paul finds no inconsistency in loving the appearing of the Lord, but also loving the appearing of Timothy. God told us it's not good for man to be alone. Jesus too knew what it was like to be lonely and Jesus also wept. God knows our frame that we are but dust. I have a divine treasure dwelling in me. The moment I got saved, it's not something. It's a person, his name is Jesus, but it still does not change the fact that I'm a clay vessel. We need to be reminded that we are human because only then are we able to really understand the need to trust the Lord all the more. Paul, though lonely and cold and and having stated that because of what he's going through, everyone had forsook him, didn't want to stand with him. He wasn't popular while being in prison. Just like the Lord Jesus, his disciples assured him, we're not going to leave you, Peter especially, and even stated, if everybody else, I'm not going to leave you and The Bible tells us when Jesus was no longer popular, his popularity ran out and he was being tried. He was forsaken by all. But the Bible tells us in verse 17 that the Lord stood with Paul. And Paul enjoyed his experiencing of God's presence. Why is it that we've stressed for years now the Christ Walk Journal? So that you can experience God. Someone has said to me on a number of occasions, I'm not going to do it. I don't like it. Why? And well, I just got my own thing. Well, tell me how your own thing goes. And what I've come to figure out is I like what I do better than what you don't do. Because the whole point is we ought to meet with Jesus. And you're not meeting with Jesus when you're griping and complaining and you have no joy in your soul and no one wants to be around you and God is resisting you. That's not meeting with God. And Paul enjoyed his experience of meeting with God. We find in verse 17, the first part of the verse, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me, it was a conscious presence of God. He knew the presence of God is here with me, but not just the conscious presence of God, but in verse 17, and strengthen me. It was a conquering presence. And notice what he says, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. It was a confirming presence of God. You know, we ought to live life as a human because that's what we are. But we ought to do it in the power of the presence of Almighty God. Now, Paul knows he's about to die. And these are his last words given to us. And he gives us some snapshots or mini biographies of some of the people 
that he labored with that might be instructive to us here tonight. As Paul pondered the situation in Rome, a string of names come to his mind, no doubt by way of the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but remember, the Holy Spirit never overtook their personalities but they're sensitive to the Holy Spirit just as we are to be. And, and they were inspired human writers. And, and Paul ponders this and certain names come to his mind. And the first one that he thinks of here in this particular context in verse 10 is Demas. Demas. Demas is one that comes to mind as being disappointing. Paul says of Demas in verse 10, Timothy, this is why you need to come to me quickly. Because verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Demas is a reminder to us all to guard against the danger of worldliness. We must guard against the danger of worldliness. It says, Demas hath forsaken. That phrase, hath forsaken, means to leave one in the lurch, to let one down, to desert, to abandon. The Lord used this same word to describe his feelings of utter abandonment when he was on the cross in Matthew 27 and verse 46. And so Paul is calling to Timothy, be diligent, be faithful in coming to me. Timothy, stay faithful. Why? In part, it's because some in Paul's circle were not faithful. They could not be depended upon. Demas is mentioned only three times in the New Testament. And each of the three citations tell us a, a sad story. Paul listed Demas among, uh, along with Mark and Luke as one of the fellow laborers in Philemon 24. He's one of the fellow laborers with Paul. That's quite a company to be uh, put with. On staff, serving the apostle Paul. But then in Colossians 4 and verse 14, he simply called Demas. You, you know something's changed in somebody's station of life when you look at their social media and their bio has changed. It just says Demas. But here in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, the third time that Demas is mentioned, he's forsaken Paul. He's disappointing because he failed to guard against the danger of worldliness. Paul gives us the reason for his abandonment, for his going AWOL. He had as a believer, he had tasted of the life of Christ, but he preferred the reality of the fleeting world. Demas did not want to lose his Christianity, no, but it was inconvenient to keep it. His love for this world or this present age 
It took over Demas. Remember, you make your decisions. Your decisions will then make you. And this loving of the world or the present age, the system of the world, it takes many shapes depending upon who you are and where you are. It could be shaped as simply comfort. Or it could take on the form of wealth. Or it could come because of some advantage or fame or prestige or simply the love of something specific. Perhaps Demas, he just never counted the cost. Maybe he did not understand that when we come to Jesus, we're going to face some uh, obstacles and tribulations. And, and when you follow Jesus, you are on a collision course with this world. Or maybe William Barclay suggested this in his commentary, quote, the years have a way of taking our ideals away or making us satisfied with less and less of lowering our standards. There is no threat so dangerous and so insidious as the threat of years to a man's ideals. In other words, there's not a single soul that is not at times swayed or lured by just the idea of comfort. The older we get, the more alluring the song of ease may sound. But this is a short-sighted temptation to love what this present world can give you instead of loving the appearing of Christ that he talks about in verse number 8. See, worldliness is an attitude or a philosophy of simply wanting to blend in. It's losing your identity as a Christ follower. Demas, it says, went to Thessalonica. What did he go to do? To blend in. Not to forsake the Lord. No, but his heart just got cold. And you can lose yourself in a place where you're blending in. And then he forsook Paul. For a long time, Demas had been loving the world, but now he's made a choice to actually leave Paul. It doesn't happen overnight. That's why I say sometimes when people say, we've decided to leave, I say, no, you decided a long time ago. It just didn't dawn on you yet. Well, how do you say that? Because they had their blinker on. They weren't following Jesus for quite some time. Demas fell in love with the world system. Demas must have done a lot of good things in his life, and having been a servant with Paul, to have even accompanied Paul, but he's now branded in his final act, or he's branded rather by his final act as one who has abandoned the apostle Paul. Demas's departure, it devastated Paul. The truth is your deepest hurts can only come from the people you love. Your deepest disappointments from the destruction of your deepest hopes. I believe it was a bitter pill for the Apostle Paul. I can testify that over years of ministry, the greatest heartaches have not come from enemies, but from those who began well who raised my hopes high only to become lovers of this world rather than lovers of the greatest lover of all, Jesus Christ. 
Paul contrasts himself with Demas. Notice how Paul says of him versus the description he gave of Demas. Notice what Paul says in verse 7. I have fought a good fight. Oh, it's a fight indeed, but it's a good fight because God put me into it. I have finished my course. See, many people, they run out of course before they run out of task. And Paul says, I finished it all. There's nothing else left for me to do. And he says, I have kept the faith. But verse 10, but Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed. It's not how fast you run. It's whether you finish the course. The Life Application Bible, it describes of Demas as one who is an example an example that reminds us that each of us are vulnerable to the enticements of comfort and pleasure. After all, many have to work uh, secular kind of jobs to be able to make ends meet or to exist. But please keep in mind, I'm not a full-time Christian because I'm in full-time ministry, you're just as much called to full-time Christianity and you're called to full-time ministry just as much. It's not what pays you that determines whether or not you're in ministry. It's who you follow. It's what you live for. It's where your love exists. And it goes on to say, to resist worldly desires, we must, number one, remind ourselves that the world is not our home. We're literally just passing through. Let me say that again. You've heard the song, so it's easy to go right through. I, you, you say, I could preach that one. I could even sing the song. I'm sure you can. I don't care if you sing it. I don't care if you quote it. I don't care if you say it a hundred times. What I care about is that it becomes a reality. The world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Literally, we're just passing through. If you're going to survive in resisting worldly desires, you must remind yourself the world is not your home. You're literally just passing through. All right, if you said amen, or if you believe it to be an amen, then why are you living contrary to that? The Bible tells us of Abraham that he would pitch his tent, but he built his altar. And yet too many of God's people, they're pitching their altar and they're building their tent. We're living as though this is where it all counts. We're living as though this is what matters the most. We're communicating to our children that this is really what life is all about. When Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says... If or since you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Listen, I wouldn't put a, a, a kid's job before God any time. I'll say it again, I wouldn't put a kid's job before God any time. 
Well, we're teaching them to work. Why don't you teach them to love Jesus? You say, I know what I'm doing. Then quit bellyaching when they're not turning out the way you want them to turn out because no kid turns out the way you want them to turn out. They turn out the way you've taught them to turn out. Train up a child in the way he should go. It didn't say tell the child the way he should go. And as long as you're not all in, why should they get all in? I'd cancel everything. I, I would absolutely cancel everything until they learn what it means to be sold out to Jesus Christ. Poppycock on thinking you'll send them to a Bible college and there they'll get ministry. You don't get ministry in a Bible college. You take the calling and ministry and you ought to go, but that's not even the key. Why pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars when you're to learn it in the presence of God and you can do it here tonight and it doesn't cost you much of anything but your life and soul and body. I'm telling you, Demas didn't wake up one morning and said, I don't see anybody taking up the departure from Paul ministry, so I think I'd like to fill that role. No, it came because he drifted and no doubt And we've seen this morning in the book of Galatians, Paul's not going to beat around the bush. No, he's going to burn it down for the sake of saving somebody's soul and helping somebody from becoming shipwrecked. He talks about that in his writings to Timothy, the fear of becoming shipwrecked. And he talked about it in 1 Corinthians 9. I don't want to be a castaway. And so Paul doesn't want anyone else to be a castaway. And so he's warning people, guard your heart that you'll not be a departure from the cause of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself, the world is not our home. Number two, refocus our minds on our mission in this life to represent Jesus Christ in all we do and say. See, Demas, again, is a reminder to resist worldly desires. Remind ourselves that the world is not our home. Refocus our minds on our mission in this life to represent Jesus Christ in all we do and say. Number three, return to the basic truth. That we have been bought with the price. Christ is our Savior and we require salvation. Let me park on that one there a moment. We need to return to the basic truth. We have been bought with the price. Christ is our Savior and we are required to yield to the one who bought us. You know God has first claim to your right. Why do you put four-wheeling above God? Why do you put shopping, Facebooking before God? We live and die so we could go to the lake. Why don't you live for the one who died for you? Why do you put soccer before God? Um, Paul said, for to me to live is. And yet some young people, all I can hear is, I cannot wait. Boy, I can't wait till we go to the beach. But I don't ever hear too many say, I cannot wait to meet with Jesus. You know why? Because they haven't seen mom and dad meet with Jesus. If they saw you coming out of your time with God like Moses came off the mountain, 
Do you know how you can tell when someone got a sunburn? The sun burnt. You know how people knew that Moses had been with God? Because God had been with Moses. Well, I wish I knew how to be plainer about some of this. The best friend you can have is one who's going to tell you the truth. Demas is a reminder to resist worldly desires. We must request the help of the Holy Spirit to restrain our self-centered impulses. If you have a life application Bible, those things are mentioned in there. Remind ourselves that the world is not our home. Number two, refocus our minds on our mission in this life to represent Jesus Christ and all we do and say. Number three, return to the basic truth that you've been bought with the price. Number four, request the Spirit's help to restrain our self-centered impulses. If you can ever show me where you can be cool and callous and careless with Jesus, I say you've got an argument one and I apologize for being passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. Demas. Think of Demas. I remember what Paul says. He's forsaken me. Think of Demas. I think of disappointing. But notice in verse number 11 he says, Only Luke is with me. I think of Luke, I think of how Paul talks about Luke, and the word that comes to my mind for Luke is dependable. Paul's comments, he mentions here about Crescens and Titus and Tychicus, and, and what he's saying here is that these men have gone on to other fields of service, likely Paul sent them off, and so the point is, Paul is simply making is, they're not here. You're good men, but they're not here. Only Luke is with me. Colossians 4 and verse 14 calls Luke the beloved, the beloved physician. He was a doctor. I think how appropriate for the apostle Paul. Who needed a physician more than Paul with his beatings, his stonings, his shipwrecks, and his imprisonments? And yet Luke writes the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. He's an educated historian. He's a diligent researcher and theologian. He used the finest of Greek. You, you read the Greek New Testament, you find Luke is completely different than that of reading John's epistles. Every Greek student reads First uh, John because of the simplicity of the language. You get into Luke and you get into an elevated physician's uh, educated type of language. He joined with Paul at Tarsus for missionary journeys, spending most of his life in the background, and he was just a human instrument God used to prop Paul up. Paul was virtually forsaken. He's incarcerated. He's under terrible circumstances, and yet he thanked God for the braveness of Luke. And he would say the fact that Luke is still standing with me. There were evidences of Nero's atrocities everywhere. The axe was drawing nearer to Paul's neck. How can we ever measure just the, the, the pathos of Paul's sentiments about Luke? Luke is with me. Of all the thousands of people whom Paul led to Christ, to whom he personally ministered and invested in, only Luke remained a close daily companion till his death. 
On the other hand, how could we ever measure the praise and thanksgiving of the words, Luke is with me. I say great will be Luke's reward in heaven. I think of Luke, I think of dependable, and let me say this about Luke. Don't you miss the blessing of being useful. Don't miss the blessing of being useful. We think of Demas and we're reminded of the need to guard our hearts against the danger of worldliness. We think of Luke and I'm reminded to not miss the blessing of being useful. Luke was extremely useful, Paul says. I want to mention one other. His name is Mark. Notice in verse 11, only Luke is, is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And I think of Mark, one word comes to mind, it's determined. Let me explain. Mark was the son of Mary. He grew up in the home where the church met. It was a spiritual atmosphere. So Mark grew up in the midst of Christianity, committed Christianity. He was the nephew of Barnabas and went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, that first missionary journey. However, something happened and Mark left Paul and Barnabas to go home and it caused strife between Paul and Barnabas. Because Barnabas mentioned, let's take Mark again on the second missionary journey and Paul would have none of it. The argument between Paul and Barnabas was so sharp that Paul, instead of taking and going with Barnabas, Paul took Silas and went one way, while Barnabas took John Mark and they went the other way. Paul considered this act of Mark dropping out after that first journey, he considered it to be nothing less than a desertion. We have no record of exactly what happened to Mark afterwards, but I say evidently something happened with his time with Barnabas because a healing seemed to take place. It seemed that, that Mark's time with Barnabas, it changed his life and it brought healing to him so that he was with Paul several occasions later on. Apparently, Mark was reconciled to Paul before Paul wrote the book of Colossians and Philemon during his first imprisonment. And then 30 years later, Paul is telling Timothy, go out of your way, pick up Mark and bring him to me because he is now profitable to me in the ministry. Demas, he's a challenge to guard your heart against worldliness. We see of Luke. He's the reminder, don't miss opportunities to be useful. Mark, he's the reminder that no one ever gets past the opportunity to be restored. No one of us ever gets beyond restoration. So get back in the race. Get back in the game. Get back in the fight. Mark had rocketed from uselessness to usefulness. Why? Because he was determined. 
He didn't quit when he blew it. It's, it's a beautiful fact that John Mark, the missionary dropout, became Mark, the writer of the great action gospel that emphasizes the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What profound encouragement we find in the life of John Mark. Past failure, even rejection. It doesn't prevent you from being usable and being available you can come back from disgrace at any given time. Not only that, but you can become immensely useful to Jesus Christ. Even the shirker, even the uh, disappointer, even the denier. You can look this way. We've got enough guns out there. We're completely fine, so don't worry about it. Even those who have been just limbo with Jesus can come back to being useful for Jesus. And God wants to take that kind of of a man or woman who says, I may have blown it. I may have been stalled, but I can come back from uselessness to usefulness. That's what Mark reminds us of. No one of us ever gets beyond restoration. In a few months, it's going to be Luke, Mark, and Timothy. And they're all going to be gathered together for Paul's homegoing. That's a tough team for tough times. Our failure never has to be fatal or final. As we conclude, look over in verse 21. Notice the first sentence of verse 21. Paul says, well, read that sentence with me together out loud, shall we? Do thy diligence to come before winter. I want to challenge you with this thought. Respond to the opportunities that are given to you. Paul's plea to Timothy, come before winter. It's a reminder to us that opportunities do not wait forever. Once the winter season began, Paul knows and Timothy knows, and Paul is stressing to Timothy, you're not going to be able to easily travel to me if winter sets in. You can't get to me in Rome and see me before I take my last breath here upon this earth. Before winter comes, please make your way. Take the opportunity. Clarence McCartney in his famous sermon, Come Before Winter, he says, before winter or never. It's before winter or never. If you're ever going to be used of God, may it be before winter because there may Never be an opportunity outside of that. If you're going to be restored like John Mark, may it be before winter. Now, while you have opportunity. Clarence McCartney continued, there are some things which will never be done unless they are done before winter. And Paul's telling Timothy, if you don't make the trip before winter, it's not going to happen. Are there opportunities you're neglecting today that may soon vanish forever? Are there people you should contact? Are there decisions that you should make? Today is yours. Tomorrow is no guarantee. Church, whatever you do, come 
before winter. Let's stand together, please.